Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. So good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. It is Monday, April 10th, 2017. We say that because many of you do listen to this on a downloaded basis, and we appreciate that. We're getting an increasing number of people listening to this both live and then going back and making notes on it on a downloaded basis. So we appreciate all of you who are a part of this podcast. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award through Progress in Lending. Tony Garitano and the team there, appreciate that. Got that a few years back, and uh, always get recognized. But, you know, the best recognition we can get is when we hear from you, our listeners, and we have so many of you commenting at the conference I've been speaking at, uh, across the nation, uh, the many uh, many testimonies. So we had Mark. I got to tell the story, listeners. So we had uh, Mark Jones on with AmeriFirst, and we were talking about servicing, and we posted that up on LinkedIn. And he says, Dave. He called me, and he said, Dave, I had no idea the reach of your uh, podcast. He said I had over thirty thousand comments or likes to that message post, and he says. I don't think I've ever gotten more than a dozen or so before that. So tell your listeners, there is a lot of them out there, and they're listening. So we're really grateful for all of you passing the word on and telling others about this. Again, we're here for you and to try to bring you information in a way. I love, I love like Rob Crispin's report. I love the Crispin report. It's great. It's reading. But sometimes when you're in the car, you want to kill some time, but you want to kill it with some news about what's going on. We're a great way for you to do that as well as uh, if you're working out, however you um, can get a hold of some free time, this is a great way to get updates of what's going on in the industry. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors. We have ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative RateStar program, Motivity Solutions, providing real-time reporting, dashboards, and scorecards. We also have Velma, which is an email marketing platform, very effective at getting the word out. Simplifile, real-time electronic communications exchange, and the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. And, of course, D&H, moving your world forward through technology. I just was talking to David Bolin and some of the things going on. You guys are all aware of the announcement about what's going on with the, with the acquisition uh, by Vista of uh, D&H. i got to tell you, there's some exciting days ahead for D&H. Be paying attention to what's going on. If you get a hold of one of, your, get a hold of, one of the D&H representatives, I highly recommend you doing so because they're doing some things that are very innovative, and now they've got a new capital, new ownership, new combination of another company uh, that's out there that they're working with. So so they're going to be a very dominant force in the marketplace. So check it out at www.dh.com or call them at 1-800-815-5592. In the Hot Topics segment, we're going to have Jack Nunnery back with us. Looking forward to getting the report. Jack is the Director of Correspondent Lending for Texas Capital Bank. And we're providing our listeners with an update on the launch and the success of the launch uh, that he did of the Correspondent Division a while back, and he announced that on our program. Very blessed and honored to hear all that has gone on. And now we get a report on lessons learned 
What are they realizing? Again, they had a very purposed approach to a very intentional approach to launching this. And so what are the benefits of it? What's the benefits to you as you become more intentional about your business? We're going to be excited to learn all of that in the hot topic segment. I want to say special thanks to Alice and Joe and uh, Paul and Sam and Andy's not with us today, but wish him the best. But to everyone who dials in and uh, contributes to this program, we got some upcoming conferences that will be there. First of all, we have the April 30th uh, through May 3rd Secondary Marketing Conference. I'll be speaking at that. We also have the great uh, Rivers Conference coming up. I'll be speaking at that, as well as the Ohio Mortgage Bankers Conference which will be coming up. Again, we'll have our new website up and running. I think it's going to be this week. Very excited about that. You'll be able to look at all the conferences, or you can go to my website. You'll see all the conferences that I'm at, at Transformational Mortgage Solutions. But also look at it for our new Liquid on Lending website. It'll be released here shortly. So with all of that, we always now, we, we're always interested in what's going on with the market, and we're adding another perspective to it. We have Les Parker, who comes on and uses some wit and humor to kind of relate to the market. So uh, with that, let's go to Les Parker, and then we're going to go off to Joe Farr, and he will tell us exactly what's happening. But let's start off with a market report, kind of a broad perspective from Les Parker. Thanks, Dave. This is Market Logics Live, sponsored by Loan Logics. Here's this week's song parody. When you believe in spreads that you don't understand, then you suffer. Intuition ain't the way. Benchmarking with actuarially sound default score can check our intuition about cause and effect. Let's dispel a myth that seems intuitively right. Treasury bond yields always move in lockstep with the federal funds rate. Moody Analytics has a simple way to dispel this myth. Inverted Yield curves, often the death nail of a business cycle upturn, would never materialize. Moody Analytics found that the 10-year yield fell 54% of the time in months where the Fed was tightening rates. These views are my own. Go to LoanLogics.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. When you know, when you believe in things you don't understand, well, I got to tell you, Les helps understand it as explain it. And uh, I'm getting some chuckles. They've got Gary Canterbone there involved with them helping produce that response. It's really good. I enjoyed that. Uh, anyway, Joe Farr, you also help us understand I things follow that. that are, are, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty good. No dryer, well, I you think. know what. Yeah, well, you know what? You bring us, you bring us the here and now, what's happening today, and uh, I just like your style. So my favorite part of the telling the story, the Joe Farr story, is I had to talk you into do this. He said nobody wants to hear some guy who sounds like a hick from Texas. You're far from a hick. CPA ran president of one of the more successful mortgage companies. Now one of the you've got a leading initiative here with a more MBS quote line. I have no idea how anyone runs a business without you and your technology on their uh, on anything. I have their desktop, their mobile devices, their um, uh, everything. You know, yeah. On the watch? I don't have you got it on the I'd watch have to agree yet? With you. I, yeah, not on the watch. No. Well, you gotta get to the watch. That's the next one. Anyway, let's get an update. What's happening today, Joe? We're up four thirty seconds today and uh, you know, not a lot to point to. No real significant data came out, no real headlines, uh maybe just a little bit of a, re- a reversal of uh the late Friday uh drop in prices, but 
last week was a was a tough. What well, you know, there's a lot of activity going on last week. A lot of midday shifts in 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 direction. Uh, you know, after an improvement, yeah. a big drop, and then a and then a big improvement again. I mean, it's uh, it was really a pretty volatile week. But in the end, we only moved two thirty seconds in price during the week. So uh, <laughs> much like we've been much the, for uh, many weeks this this. Start to 2017. It's been a lot of activity, but a lot of not a lot of net movement. So, you know, as we stand, we're not too far from where we began the year. So uh, last weekday there was uh, a lot of data and, and a lot of headlines. And you know, looking at the data first, uh, the uh, net effect of the data was that it was a little weaker than expected or, or neutral at best. I mean, not a lot of real uh, significant imp- uh, news that beat expectations. And as a result, mortgage rates like that. Uh, MBS prices improved generally in the data. You know, the ISM manufacturing and services indexes both came in close to expected, uh, down a little bit from the prior month. You know, ADP was the big surprise, but then along came the uh, actual uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics report, and it was much lower than expected, much lower than ADP and much lower than expected. So it was uh, positive for mortgage rates. And uh, But the headlines really were what drove things, uh, both favorable and, 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 and unfavorable for mortgage rates. Uh, going back to Wednesday, uh, the minutes of the March 15th meeting were released, and, and the market read those as being a little more hawkish than what they expected, and MBS prices fell on that news. But then you'll remember just as, you know, 20, 30 minutes after the, the minutes came out, the uh, Speaker Ryan made his comments about tax reform, you know, the, the difficulty with the health care reform um, caused people to think that the legislature uh, would focus more on the on tax reform, and Speaker Ryan came out saying that ta- uh, tax reform will take longer than the health care reform will. So uh, that tax reform was expected to be uh, good for the economy, which would also be inflationary, which would not be good for mortgage rates. And as a result, when uh, when Speaker Ryan said that, we saw a very immediate reaction in the market uh, favorable for mortgage rates. MBS prices improved. Um, uh, totally offsetting what had been a drop in prices uh, associated with the Fed minutes. Uh, and then on Friday, uh, New York Fed, Fed President Dudley came out talking more about the balance sheet. In fact, that's been the theme of all the Fed speakers lately, much like in late February when the Fed speakers were coming out and basically telling the market, you need to anticipate a March increase. All the Fed speakers are out there now saying you need to anticipate a change in Fed policy sometime in 2017 regarding the balance sheet. Uh, Fed Dudley said more of the same, but this time he added, because a lot of people have said as the Fed begins to change their policy regarding reinvesting uh, principal payments, that they might slow down or or pause on raising the Fed fund rate. Fed Dudley came out and he emphasize that if there is that kind of pause, it would be a short pause. And um, that pushed the short end higher. Uh, long, the long end, uh, the yield curve reacted uh, accordingly and, and uh, was not good for mortgage rates. And so, uh, you know, uh, as I said, all in all, the week was only a two thirty second change in MBS prices. So virtually a, a no change in mortgage rates. 
Uh, looking at the week ahead, Dave is uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, pretty, well, the, the question about uh, well, let's talk about ADP. Uh, ADP showed yeah. a net net change in in employment of two hundred forty five thousand in the month of January. The BLS showed ninety six thousand. You know, that's a big difference, right? That's a hundred fifty thousand different is, and the, but that's not unprecedented. You know, the the ADP has always been a little off from. Uh, the jobs report. In fact, ADP would say they're not a good forecaster of the jobs report, but they're the, but they're a better forecaster of the ultimate jobs number. So after a couple of revisions, ADP thinks that that their process is in sync more with a revised jobs number than the initial jobs number. Now, if that's the case, we can expect to see some big revisions. I don't know if we will, but. Um, 150,000 difference in prices happened a couple times in the last four years, so it's, you know, it's a uh, it's a bigger miss than usual, but uh, but not unprecedented. And then to add confusion to all that, you you throw in the Bureau of Labor Statistics household survey, and and that reported 472,000 new jobs in March. So. Yeah, I know. So, which do you believe? I guess, I guess the you step back and you and you kind of wait to see what really happens. Uh, uh, the market tends to focus on the the business survey done by the BLS, which was the ninety six thousand jobs. But uh, good thing is they're all positive, uh, uh, and two are higher than the one that the market pays most most attention to. So, you know, maybe that will show a little movement in the direction of uh, more jobs rather than less jobs. Uh, but now we can talk about jolts. That's a whole nother look at the labor market. Yeah. See what it reports, and uh, you know it's more about activity in the labor market, new hires, uh, turnover, and uh, um, as we've talked about in the past, it's one that Janet Yellen seems to like to focus on. Next week yeah. we also have inflation data coming out. PPI comes out on Wednesday. CPI comes out on Friday. Retail sales also comes out on Friday, and interesting this this uh, this time Friday's Good Friday, and uh, the markets are closed. Yet we have two significant uh, economic uh, announcements coming out with CPI and retail sales. So the market is not going to be able to react to those numbers immediately, and so um, you know you might want to look and see what's happening on Friday while you're taking the day off if you are. But know it might impact how. Um, what your rate sheets look like Monday morning. And then next week we have auctions. Yeah, the 10-year auction on Wednesday and the 30-year auction on Thursday. Lots of data, lots of opportunity to, um, you know, have shifts and turns in this market. Again, I do not understand how anyone runs their business without having MBS Quote Line um, out there and uh, providing the insights, the market insights, and you do a great job. It's one simple site to go to, and it's all there. It's real simple, very easy to read. Uh, kudos to you for the job you do, my friend. I appreciate it. So thanks for the thanks, update Dave. this week. Look forward to having you back next week. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break for a couple ads, and then we're going to be back. We've got Alice Alvey in the wings, and uh, looking forward to getting an update on all that's happening with her. Here's a quick message on MBS Quote Line and how you can get signed up. 
Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLend delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. Yeah, by the way, my apologies. Hit the button a little too quickly on the ad. Sometimes there's a little latency, so you try to tee them up there. So MBS Quoteline is www.mbsquoteline.com. Check it out. Appreciate you all being here. And Alice is dialing in from way up north. As uh, as our guest Jack Nutter, he said earlier, good day. Good day? Or how do they say that? I can't even do a good Canadian accent. Alice, good to have you with us. Appreciate you dialing in on your busy travels. Alice, we got, I think you're muted on your end because I'm double-checking yeah. the mic on my end. You are live. There you are. There you are. Good to have you with us. Uh, yeah, did you, you. Yes, did you pull over to the not. side of the road? Did you pull <laughs> yes, over to the side of the road so we don't have you? Well, yeah, the main reason I had to pull over is because if I went any further, I, there wasn't any cell air. There were more cows than telephone poles, so I had to stop. <laughs> so. <laughs> you are that far north. Wow. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate you dialing in. I really do. Uh, well, thank you. So, anyway, so um, it's uh, Congress is off on Easter break, so I thought this was a good time uh, to – send a reminder out to everyone on uh, marketing service agreements. Uh, we recently, just last week, we're talking to a customer who was going through an audit, and it just brought all the uh, small details and nuances of these policies issued by the CFPB that you really need to pay attention to. So if you could recall, back in October of 2015, the CFPB issued some, um, some well, more than guidance, some really uh, firm policies that you know you're going to need to follow and it sparked we actually I think have at least two shows with Mitch Kiter on that are worth going back and listening yeah. to where uh, Mitch talks about market service agreements and what's and then subsequently there have been some legal cases and the, uh, the thing I want to make sure everyone is paying attention to it's not just is my agreement in compliance and I got an attorney to write a, an MSA and I think I'm fine I don't think I have any violation of RESPA here um, it's really in the details of how you execute that. So keep in mind that if I have a business arrangement with this entity, for example, maybe uh, you as a lender or a title company, you've created a separate company uh, in conjunction with a real estate firm, what is that agreement and what does, that, what does your disclosure say to the borrower? Does your disclosure accurately reflect what the arrangement is? And then from there, did you actually try to determine the fair market value of the services 
for those arrangements that are not within the umbrella of another company. Say, you know, I do, I'm, I'm renting a desk, right? There's still plenty of that out there. Or I have a mortgage broker who's using a desk um, in a real estate office. Am I, did I really go to the effort of fair market value? And do I have paperwork? documentation to show that I actually did that research. Um, do, am I monitoring compliance with the program? So I have to have steps in place because I've got to prove that this is not a deliberate intent. Keep in mind the fines are different based on the intent and the effort. So it could be $5,000 per day if you're in violation of RESPA. It could be $25,000 per day if this was wow. committed recklessly. It could be a million dollars a day if it was committed knowingly. So you have to have the paperwork <laughs> and, and procedural trail to support. I wasn't intentionally weighing the value of the market over my fines and penalty potential, right? I actually... Um, did have a commitment to stay in, and maybe I had a renegade individual, but that plays to monitoring, right? How did that person, if I had one yeah. person who was violating the procedure, how did I have a person go off and not um, be monitored, or did they violate the policy? So um, the thing that you want to make sure of is that your accounting records also support the compliance with the agreement. So in this recent state audit, this auditor was going after $33 spent on two bottles of wine for borrowers. Now, how many of your loan officers buy your borrower a little gift as a thank you for doing business with me, right, at closing? Right, yeah, well, yeah. The, yeah, so the state auditor's thinking, all right, uh, where did this money, did the money benefit the real estate office, right? How, uh, how could the realtor or the title company be involved in this, right? Or is the borrower in cahoots with something? I mean, this was crazy. You're thinking, I'm not really going to get written up for this, am I? Another one was just membership in real estate um, associations, right? If you're a member of the local real estate board, is that getting you extra business? Was there a bump in your business after, your, after you um, paid for that membership? You're serious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This state auditor was really digging. And, you know, in the end, you could, you might have your attorney go, oh, there is anything that they could claim, you know, was tied to business. Because you still have to say, was there an understanding between the parties that there would be new business? Um, and that's tough to prove in a lot of cases. However, you have to watch. Did I get a bump in volume because I sponsored this golf outing? So this is just a reminder of the detail in all your activities, not just the initial kickoff of the agreement, but in the constant monitoring of what you're doing to make sure it stays in compliance and you can prove you're in compliance. So I wanted to remind folks of those details as we had somebody going through a recent state audit and faced with having to pull all that documentation out. And then just one quick uh, little plug here, Dave. I want to let everybody know we have a new publication portal. Uh, folks are really really amazed. Their eyes are plugging out when they're going, oh my gosh, I needed this product to publish my policies and procedures, and I am in control of editing my own documents. Um, I have the uh, flexibility. I have version control. We've got some great features, and we'd love to show our listeners how they can be in control of policies and procedures to stay in compliance with just these very things. So that's my two cents, Dave. Um, have everybody meet us. You can reach us at 800-278-0200. Thanks again. Very, very good. Always fun to have you here and on the program. Appreciate you so much. Yeah, there's, there's, that is crazy what I just heard about. I wonder if that's just isolated to one state auditor. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I mean, if you have one auditor that just desires to start digging, that can set off a whole 
series of cheering reactions, and that's uh, that's really interesting. So hopefully people take notice of that, get a hold of you if they need any questions on how they can tighten things up, because you've got some great processes and procedures for how to manage that. So good job, Alice. Really appreciate it. Folks, we're going to be right back after a quick break here. And then uh, also we've got uh, Sam Garcia in the wings. Going to have him giving us an update on some of the headlines. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Good to have you with us, everybody. And we've got Sam Garcia on the line, who is, of course, the founder of MortgageDaily.com. Check it out. Sam, good to have you here with us. What I've got your website up here. Good job tracking some of the headlines of what's happening. And I can't wait to hear some of your, your report. Well, we had a lot of good news, or I don't know if it was good, but we had a lot of news last week. Um, in the yeah. Bureau of Labor Statistics report that you and Joe were talking about, uh, they provided data about the non-bank mortgage jobs, and that came out to 331,700 uh, people working in non-bank mortgage positions. Um, that was down 1,400 jobs from January, so we've started to see a, a decrease in the number of jobs out there, as we've kind of been talking about, as you know, rates have risen and refinances are slowing. And it's funny because although the mortgage broker number rose, it was employees classified as real estate credit that were down then drove uh, the decline. Um, and, and as you know, Mortgage Daily has one of the only estimates out there of total mortgage industry employment that includes jobs at financial institutions. Um, we come up with that total based on an analysis of the BLS data and also based on origination market share. And so for February, we estimate that the total industry employment, including jobs at financial institutions, was 736,000 people. Um, and that included 36,200 jobs at a um, – I'm sorry, I, I got that number wrong there, but uh, that included jobs at banks, credit unions, and, and the BLS. Okay. Anyway, um, we, we also put out our uh, fourth quarter uh, 2016 Mortgage Employment Index report. And, and what that report does is it reflects hirings and layoffs of mortgage-related firms that are – you know we comprehensively cover them, so we basically tally them up at the end of the quarter, um, and it gives you a sense of where the jobs are going or coming from. Um, we, we get these numbers from a variety of sources, including like state warrant filings, SEC filings, our own mortgage origination survey, uh, quarterly earnings reports, and company announcements. 
departments and also directly from the mortgage companies themselves. And in our latest report, hirings tracked, uh, that we tracked exceeded layoffs by more than 3,200 in the fourth quarter. Um, and California had a gain of 500 mortgage jobs, and that was the biggest of any state. So we saw California pick up the most jobs uh, when it came to mortgage lending. Uh, of course, California took the biggest hit when the crisis hit because so many companies were located there. Um, Florida had a loss of 165 jobs that we tracked, and that was worse than any state. Um, over at Quicken Loans, they reported that headcount increased by 1,000 people during the fourth quarter. But you know, I need to clarify that that Quicken actually reports its staffing to us in increments of 1,000, so they don't give us a lot of detail. And as a result, some of those latest gains actually might have occurred in the prior quarter when there was no change because of the rounding off at 1,000. Um, and then we tracked 483 layoffs at Aquin. That was the biggest loss of any company out there. And, um, anyway, moving on, uh, we our mortgage market index was up 13% last week, and of course that's a reflection or an indication, should we say, of uh, where upcoming loan originations are going to be. Um, this index, which was based on you know lock, rate lock volume at open close, was still off 15% from a year ago. Um, the week over week increase, because it was a 13% increase if I didn't say that, um, was driven by purchase money lending. That's always good news. Um, purchase money uh, uh, rate locks were up 18%. And, you know, the volatile jumbo category jumped by a fifth. So that was the biggest of any category. But that's a small percentage of overall lending, so it doesn't really drive the overall index. Um, the American Bankruptcy Institute reported that there were 77,932 non-commercial bankruptcy filings in March. Um, we went back and looked at some historical data, and that turned out to be the highest month since March 2015. So consumer bankruptcy is at the highest level in two years. Um, the Mortgage Bankers Association, they released their Mortgage Credit Availability Index, and that was 183.4 in March. That's the highest that that index has been since roughly mid-2008. Uh, it just keeps going up, and you know that's an indication that credit conditions and home lending are the loosest they've been in nearly a decade. You know, basically after the crisis, and uh, that that was driven last month by jumbo credit conditions, which eased the most. Um, finally, uh, one other report I wanted to mention was that uh, the American Bankers Association issued its uh, consumer delinquency report. And the one category I was interested in was mobile home loans because it indicated the 30-day rate on mobile home loans was 4.07% in the fourth quarter. That was up 96 basis points from the third quarter. So that was a pretty big jump. Um, I don't know what it was. They didn't indicate why that happened. But Interesting. Any, any category to go up 96 basis points to just you know 4.06% is uh, – that's pretty significant, like a quarter of uh, whatever it was higher in just you know one quarter. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, those are some of the biggest headlines we had over the last week. There were more. I just I couldn't fit them all in here. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of headlines out there. What's happening in the industry? And you're a great resource of that, Sam. Your website mortgagedaily.com. And encourage people to get a hold of you at Sam Garcia at mortgagedaily.com or call you at two one four five two one. 1300 great stuff good amount of data i love the data that you have I and mean, that's what i keep looking at if i want to know what's who's hiring who's not kind of the trends in the employment that's good stuff and there's i mean what are some of the other areas that you would say yeah i think we've got a lot of data in a lot of areas but what what's the a couple of things that you'd say encourage our listeners to go uh to go look at this specific area 
Well, you know, we're really, we've got, there's just a ton of resources for when it comes to loan performance and whether it's 30 day, 90 day, 60 day delinquency on mortgages, first mortgages, second mortgages, yeah. or foreclosures. We've got a lot of that. So you can see what's going on there. And then one of the areas that I, I like to follow, because at one point it was just it was at the center of the industry was is uh, where we basically track the number of companies that are a uh, go out of business uh, in a given year and you could see yes. you know, over time how that's changed and then also mergers uh, you know how much acquisition activity and of course we've seen you know gosh I remember shortly after the crisis in the next couple of years I'd just be working till just so late on Friday nights because the FDIC they'd have as many as like six or eight bank failures on the worst weekends um, all in one day. I just those guys were just uh, going crazy when you know the number of banks that were going under. And of course now it's down to a trickle. Maybe you have one uh, every uh, few weeks at the best. But uh, so that's that's kind of a relief. But you could see such a difference in how much better, at least from the perspective of how many banks are going under and other companies. We also, of course, most importantly, cover how you know when mortgage companies uh, go out of business, and because that means usually you know that's uh, not going to be another correspondent lender or wholesaler that's available if that happens. But we don't see a lot of that, uh, even though we've seen a slight uptick lately. So those are those are some yeah, of the really more interesting metrics we keep keep tabs on. You do a great job. Encourage people to check it out. MortgageDaily.com, everybody. Sam, thanks so much for joining in with us today. All right, Love thank it. you. All the best, my friend. You bet. Well, let's go over to ArchMI. They lead with they're, they're, they have a whole new ad campaign about them and how they're leading. And their latest campaign ad is Lead With Us. So let's go check it out. And, and it's leading from ahead of the herd. So here's a quick word from ArchMI. Thanks, David. Glad to be a sponsor. Spring home buying's underway. The supply is tight and interest rates are rising. Are lenders ready to compete for purchase business, or will they get left behind? Archimai RateStar is the best way to stay aggressive and stay ahead of the herd. Use our risk-based pricing program to assess individual loan risk more precisely. With RateStar, lenders lead their market the way Archimai leads the MI industry. Lead with us. I like that. Lead with them. Andy Shell, the profit doctor, would normally be in this time slot here, but Andy is with his father-in-law, who unfortunately had a stroke, and they're having to take care of some things. But he wanted to remind our listeners that he has an upcoming webinar through the NBA. It starts April 20th. He does a great job on these. It starts on the 20th. They have another one on the 27th, and then another one the 11th, uh, the 4th and the 11th. And so there's a four-part series. It's drilling into mortgage accounting, uh, loan level accounting, hedging for accountants, very interesting, very detailed. Of course, uh, the one that will just make your head hurt is hedging accounting. So if you want to have a to learn and expand your knowledge, which I recommend you all do, especially in this area, grab and register at the MBA website. We're going to have Jack Nunnery on just a minute. We want to first go out for the KPI of the week from John Maynell at uh, over there at Motivity Solutions. They do a great job with their uh, dashboard. So let's take a listen to what John Maynell says as the KPI of the week. Hi, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be back. And this week's key performance indicator is application to underwriting cycle time. This KPI is a measurement delivered at business days, and tracking this metric helps lenders ensure that their processes upstream from underwriting are as efficient as they can be. 
Our clients generally find that the sooner their qualified borrowers receive an underwriting decision, the less likely those borrowers are to shop around. So this KPI can ultimately boost app-to-funded pull-through as well, which is the KPI we focused on last week. So we're really beginning to connect the dots between operational efficiency and customer satisfaction. And once again, this and other KPIs we will be talking about in the coming weeks always demonstrate that what gets measured gets results. And uh, with that, I will thank you again, Dave, and turn it back to you. It's good to have you with us. KPIs of the month, of the week, Motivity Solutions, great technology, great solution. Check them out at MotivitySolutions.com or call 303-721-9000. Great partnership with some great people. Really appreciate the whole team and what they're doing over there. Now we get to get out and talk to one of my favorite people, one of the more intelligent people in the industry. Uh, at least I think he is. He is just a delight to work with. Had the privilege of having him as a client. Jack Nunnery, who is the Correspondent Lending Director of uh Texas Capital Bank, EVP, nonetheless. And we have also listing in on the line, I forgot to mention this earlier, is Martin from First State Bank. So good to have listeners from around the nation to dialed in and listing. If you dial in early enough, we like to turn on the mic and run around and uh, get you, uh, find out who's listening in from different parts of the country. But Jack, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Good to have you here, friend. Well, thank you for the kind words, David. Good to be here. Well, you sit and look about, you recently, well, I guess it's been a little while now since you've launched the new correspondent lending operation, but you have done a great job. But I understand uh, last week you announced that you're launching a new correspondent lending, correspondent aggregation business. Is this an old headline or is this that I see here in the notes or is this a, 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 another addition to what you're already doing? I think that's an old headline, David. Yeah, I think that might be, because I was looking at this, and Terry wrote these notes in here, and I was going, ah, it sounds like that was that's what we were going to be talking about. And uh, it was an old headline she had in here, so my apologies. One, for, for those of you that are not aware of it, um, Texas Capital Bank has been a leading warehouse lender for some period of time. And you look at what they've done, it's, uh, the, the success that they've enjoyed has been just nothing less than amazing. And it's been done under the leadership of yourself, Jack. You've done a phenomenal job at the warehouse lending division. And then the bank, at your suggestion, and uh, I think it was your suggestion, was it not? Your suggestion to start launching the correspondent division? Yes. Uh, you know, Gary Ort and I have been partners here at Texas Capital Bank for about eight and a half years. So, uh, you know, Gary and I, uh, you know, built the warehouse business or re-engineered the warehouse business. And the bank approached us several years ago and wanted to explore uh, how Texas Capital Bank increased their footprint in the mortgage space. And we recommended that they move into the correspondent aggregation space. Well, I'm um... – you guys have done an amazing job, and I had the privilege of designing or helping you give, or at least give some input into you as you were beginning to design this. And what became so evident to me, Jack, is how purposed and intentional you were about planning and laying what is a new approach to the warehouse lending. Your one of your primary goals was to, again, take out as much of the buyback risk for the lenders as possible. This is You are way ahead of your time. Now Fannie Mae's trying to come, has released day one certainty, but you don't have, you have day one certainty, but your success has been way beyond what a lot of people ever gave you credit for could be. And I'm just really 
really excited to get into that. So let's talk about this level of competition and saturation in the marketplace. We've seen a lot of correspondent activity in the aggregation area, and you've been amazingly successful since you lost this, launched this. And I would like to get some insights as to uh, how you've been received in the marketplace, number one, and some of the success you've enjoyed. So give us an update. Well, any organization that approaches business with the concept to serve their clients will have little to fear from the competition, David. And so as we built this, we built this with our clients in mind. And, and, and so, uh, you know, as many of your listeners will agree, to build something from DeNovo presents a unique set of challenges, exciting journey for me personally over the last 18 months. But when you look at correspondent business, it's really a business of scale. The margins are very thin. It's difficult to turn this business profitable without scale. So, you know, we had to build this literally one client, one month at a time. And we were fortunate uh, in that we had good client-facing technology. We were in a marketplace that had a plethora of talent, and we were able to assemble seasoned mortgage bankers combined with good technology. And you know, today uh, we're over 210 clients, uh, very wow. proud of that number. Uh, we were able to turn this business profitable in its 10th month of existence. And we were able, in our first full year of being in business, uh, to uh, be profitable for the first year. So uh, a lot of challenges out there. The market you know, is saturated with correspondent aggregators. Um, and and you, you know, you've, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to bring good technology that forces you to uh, uh, measure your, your KPIs, right, uh, so that you right. get the best results out of your staff. And we've been able to do that. Well, a lot of it is picking the right people, and that's one of the things I want to get into it. But before we go there and how you select your team, before you launched, you talked about implementing a manufacturing discipline. I really like the word discipline. And especially as it relates to correspondent lending, you're at the tail end of that manufacturing, and so everything can go really well at that point if it has gone well or you have an opportunity to help lenders cause it to go well. And you have, were very involved in uh, – one of your goals was to reduce manufacturing defects at the loan level basis. And I'd like to get some insight to as to how that has gone. Well, David, you were, you were part of the project team as we were building this. So you got eyes on some of the discipline that we embedded in this build out. Uh, uh, for example, how we drilled everything down to task level, right? If you recall yeah. inside a process engineering at the, at the highest level, you have milestones. For example, milestone number three may be to underwrite loan. And in a many to one relationship under milestones, you have jobs. So job number seven may be recertification of borrower's employment, right? And then underneath right. that, you have tasks. And we drilled our process all the way down to task level. Now, what this did was is it provided us, one, you know, a great training script for new employees boarding in because that's always the risk or one of the many risks in a de novo business 
right? You're combining new process, new technology, and new people. What could go wrong? Well, a lot of things can go wrong. And if you can script your process down to task level, so when a new employee comes in and, and you say, here's how we want you to do job number seven, here are the 14 tasks underneath job number seven, then you start to get a homogenous process. And so that's what we were striving for. Uh, and uh, there was one thing that I said on your earlier show uh, when I first came on 18 months ago. Was that one of Hard the to believe it's been 18 months. I know. One of the problems in our industry is that you have different people doing the same thing on different loans differently. And that creates... Hmm part and parcel, a lot of the regulatory challenges that we face today. You've got to overcome that, and with the proper process discipline, you can. So, you know, let me just give you some numbers, David. And I, I think that, you know, these, these will be, uh, uh, you know, some, some eye-openers for some people that may be listening to the show. Uh, we've done approximately 22,000 loans in the last 18 months. Now, remember, you know, we were a de novo growing out from zero. So, you know, the first six months, the numbers were low. But through those 22,000 loans, we have had one repurchase from the GSE or GSEs. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and then from a quality control perspective, we break our defects into three categories, material, moderate, and informational. So material defects are the worst of the worst. We have identified two defects that classed into the material bucket out of the 22,000 loans. Uh, moderate two. defects. Did, you, so, did I hear two. that right? Was it, did, you, did you say two or 200? Two. Two. So point zero <laughs> zero nine percent 0.009%. And so you That's have a, you know, so when you apply metrics to your quality control defects, you may say we strive to have 2% material defects or 1% or 3% material defects. We're running at 0 .009, David. Then on that moderate is defects, nothing less than astounding. That's amazing. Yeah. And then on moderate defects, we've identified 28 out of the 22,000 loans. So that's a moderate defect rate of 0.1%. Uh, you know, when we first came into this, we were setting defect goals in the neighborhood of 2 to 3%. And we have so far outperformed those defect goals that that's really been one of my pleasant surprises at launching this business. I'm impressed. I mean, that that is quite impressive. But again, it goes back to preparation and a commitment to a disciplined process and developing that. And for those that – I wish I could bring everybody into those conference rooms that we met when we had business engineers. We sometimes had two or three business analysts. We had all the stakeholders that were involved in developing. There would be stakeholders in this business in this room. And everyone quietly was wondering, what's going on behind those closed doors? You kept it even a secret from within your own organization, what you're going to be launching. And the, the commitment to make this work – was so evident in your your intense desire to make sure we had every process thought through thoroughly. 
And so uh, kudos. You know what? I'm, one of my favorite programs, Jack, is Marcus Lamonis' is The Prophet. And also uh, the, he has one out he's doing right now, another series on The Partner. And uh, he talks about three things. It comes down, every business comes down to people, process, and product. So what have been some of the challenges that you've had in launching this and growing a correspondent aggregation business in this current environment? Because it has been a very competitive environment. So let's start with people. How did you select the people you found? I mean, you really have got an excellent A team. Well, part of this is just being fortunate to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. That's and true. that is one of, of the top hiring markets for mortgage banking talent in the United States. You know, but but you you know you've got to find people that buy into the vision and love to build. So yeah. uh, you know there are some people that are very good at uh, maintaining uh, status quo, and there are some people mm-hmm. that want to tear status quo. Uh, like a piece of paper and throw it in the garbage can. And I wanted people, David, that wanted to tear up status quo and to, you know, build a vision that could change how we do what we do in the mortgage space. So, uh, you know, that, that was the focus during the interview process is to look for builders. That's really good. So you looked. So you were looking for someone who had a building mentality, and but also who had a real appreciation and commitment to the discipline that you were creating. Talk about that a bit. How challenging was it to? But one thing is to map out a process, Jack. Another thing is to execute on it and have everyone um, t- to follow the process. How did how did you pull that off? Well, you know, David. One of the things that I tell a lot of people is is that you can sit in a white room. And you can draw a process flow on a whiteboard, right? And yep. and until you get under live fire, you don't know whether or not it's going to work as designed, whether or not it can it can take the stress of units or you know different people uh, interacting with the process. So uh, you know we had to be quick and nimble to change the process coming out of the gate because if we didn't then I thought, uh, you know, we would fall trapped to, uh, you know, the fallacy of building things in a conference room on a whiteboard and, and then, you know, going under live fire with them and, and that process not behave as efficiently as you thought you had drawn it out. But, you know, one of the things we did uh, early on in this build-out was that we, we chose a different path, and that is, we went down the pathway of finding a due diligence platform, technology platform, to build our offering on as opposed to a traditional loan origination system. Because we felt that loan origination systems really did a great job of manufacturing a loan, but they don't necessarily do as great a job performing due diligence on a loan. So we engaged a a company that specialized in due diligence and went into a development effort to convert a due diligence platform into a correspondent lending platform. Looking back on that, David, it was exactly the right call. Yeah. That I mean, so let's talk a little bit about that partnership. Are you free? Are you comfortable getting into that? Because I think a lot of people like to know, you know what is that? How did that 
what was that partner that really brought that together? Were there, were there various partners and technology firms or, uh, you know, where, Principally it was and what was the company? Yeah. Yeah. The, the company's name is Lone Logics. Uh, and, and they have been a good partner throughout, uh, uh this experience. Uh, that doesn't mean that everything worked the first time that they built it. Uh, you know, we had to go through a number of iterations of, of, of fixing code, but I will tell you the mark of a good partner is, is when you feel pain, they feel pain. And they have yeah. been with us, uh, you know, from day one. Uh, and I feel like they have really engaged with our business model. They understand us. We understand them. And, 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 and so I think that's perfection is not the true mark of a partnership because we will both make errors as we take this journey together. A good partnership is built on communication, willingness to react quickly, and to fix those things that don't work as they were originally thought to work. You know, there's uh, the the Navy SEALs have this saying that they plan and they prepare and they plan and they prepare. They think, envision every scenario that could possibly develop. And sure as heck, more times than not, when the first bullet starts flying, everything that they thought could happen, there's something that comes up that they did not anticipate. And yet, of course, the success of the Navy SEALs is amazing. So, you know, talk a little bit about that. What are some of the things that you anticipated that have gone well? And some of the things that you go, you know what, I, I, if I had to redo some of this or what we didn't see happening was that or this or that, what, how would you describe that? What lessons can be learned for those that are out there in the marketplace? Well, I think the first thing that went well was our desire to drill this down to task level from a process yes. standpoint. Yeah. That, that, that worked better than, than even I had hoped it would work. Uh, I think another thing that went well was is we did a good job of seeking up a formal communication line between quality control and operations. So that as quality control uncovered uh, informational or moderate or material defects, you know, they were feeding that back to our underwriting teams and our pre-purchase review teams so that they could make the necessary process corrections so that it, we did not replicate continually, continually downstream. So, I mean, those were two things that we did very well. Uh, I think, you know, yeah. the challenges from a technology standpoint, uh, you know, there has been a, a number of challenges uh, uh, with regards to syncing uh, our pricing engine uh, uh, with our system of record. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of moving parts in that. And so, you know, if you have a loan that was registered 45 days ago and now we're in a reprice scenario, you know, there's a number of calls back and forth uh, between, you know, a pricing engine and the system of record. And, you know, we, we continue to work on that, uh, uh, you know, but we do have historical pricing calls going on, uh, you know, 15, 20 times every hour during the course of the day. Wow. Uh, that has been a challenge. Uh, uh, but we yeah. will work through that with our partner, and, and, and we, will, we will get that, you know, running to uh, the degree of accuracy and efficiency that we expect it to do. Um, 
Yeah, that's the technology components have always been one of the most challenging aspects of it, and certainly I can appreciate the where that could be a real struggle. I mean, I want to go back. Several people have texted me while we've been on this uh, interview today. They said, when was the original uh, podcast? It was July 27th, 2015. How time flies, Jack, when we're out there working away and having fun. But uh, let's talk about, you know, uh, you know, you said technology has played a key role, which it certainly has, and and uh, give us some insights into the assumptions that have proven well, kind of beyond what you already have talked about. If you can, and you know, what do you see technology? I'm really interested. You're forward-looking. Is the role that technology plays as we, as we, over the next five years, especially as it relates to correspondent lending? Well, so from a technology standpoint, you know, we we have a real-time web portal out to our clients. So you know, there, right. is, there is virtually no lag between the work that's being done in our shop and how that replicates to the web portal. Uh, so you know, that right. has been a, a positive uh, for our clients and for us. Uh, so uh, other things important from a technology standpoint, uh, data accuracy. So if you remember back in the original podcast, we talked about extracting data off of yes. loan files. And that, you know, the fallacy with data extraction was is oftentimes it's extracting a data element from a single point in the loan file. But what do we know about data in a loan mm-hmm. file, David? It presents itself redundantly throughout the loan file. So why not extract the data element from different docs and then do a comparative analysis of that data element? And then you can see, well, okay, subject property address is consistent across the 1003, the 1004, the 1008, the note, the deed of trust, and the title binder. I guess this must be the correct subject property address. So that was a significant win for us. Um, and then, you know, file integrity in terms of the completeness of the doc set in the file, that is a must-have from a technology standpoint, and we have that. Uh, we also did some things around our ability to report right. We created a shared database uh, with our system of record and then pull that into a data mark that is specifically built for correspondent lending. That enables us to be very nimble and very flexible as we write uh, ad hoc and recurring reports uh, to better manage our business. So we've been able to stay on top of our metrics. We've been able to rely on accurate data, complete files, and we've been able to push uh, changes in loan statuses, STIPs, out to the web real time as we're working on the file for our clients. That's amazing. I'm going to go to Alice and then Joe, but I have one last question as Allison finds her mute, unmutes herself there. One last question as it relates to shared database. You mentioned that, and I want to make sure our listeners understand that. Someone actually uh, shot me a message said, "Have Jack explain shared database? How do you do that?" Well, well, so a lot of work is being done. In the system of record, you know, we chose to host this environment outside of our uh, IT ecosystem. So we're continually syncing to that system of record database that is 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 offsite, uh, so that we share 
with our ASP provider, uh, you know, the, the same data elements. And then we extract out of that into our uh, uh, data mart so that as we run reports against our data mart, we're not running them in the production environment that could have a negative impact on the speed of the production environment. Alice, let's run over to you and uh, see what questions you have as you sit and think back on that first interview. Uh, only 18 months ago, but it seems like uh, it was just yesterday. But Alice, uh, any questions that you have for, that you would like to bring for our listeners' attention to um, related correspondent lending? Absolutely. Hi, Jack. It's all great insight, and I, I remember that program. So, um, well, and also, I, um, you know, our company at Indicom, we offer similar technologies, and one of the things is we talk with customers who want to do the data validation for various, you know, uh, OCR uh, and opt optical character recognition um, components across the system and across the file, uh, we also find lenders are grappling with how much do I want OCR versus now I want to get my data direct from the source. Um, so can you hear a little bit about, you know, your preference of, you know, we have some companies who are very leery of OCR. Um, we find it can be very accurate and successful on a lot of the standard docs, but then we also have new services cropping up where we have the ability to get source data as well. Um, so how are you balancing those different technologies and do you have a preference? Well, Alice, I think one of the challenges of source data, again, you know, uh, inside of a mortgage file, uh, how many different sources are there for subject property address? Uh, you know, I'm, I have no idea, but, but it probably presents itself on 40 or 50 docs redundantly through the file. The weakness, <clears throat> excuse me, of sourcing data from a single document is, is that you know, you have the challenge, is the data correct on that single document that you're taking the data from? And, and then, you know, the source's integrity in terms of was it scanned with, you know, a five-degree pitch to the document? Because most OCR technology finds data inside of documents using GPS coordinates on known docs. And so if that uh, uh, document has been scanned and it's, and it's not lining up with the GPS coordinate, then the GPS coordinate could be reading the wrong field or it could be reading the margin of the paper. You know, so I think that the approach of OCR and then using a comparative analysis behind it gives you uh, the best data that you're going to get out of that file. Um, uh, so you know, I would agree that you know, OCR has come a long way uh, and, and, and that the proper application of OCR uh, does a good job at significantly increasing the integrity of the data. That's good comments about OCR and creating proper expectations on that and uh, some of the challenges there. Joe, do you want to jump in? Yeah, a quick question. Uh, you know, Jack, what are, your, what are you hearing from your customers, people you get loans from, and and are they Great benefiting question. from this? Well, they are, Joe. Uh, so our feedback has been very positive with our customers. Uh, you know, they they understand that you know by us doing a robust job on the front end and identifying and partnering with them to cure defects mm -hmm. translates into downstream. Uh, uh, 
benefits to them from mitigation of risk. And in fact, one of the things that we've done is is we have found uh, uh, some some partners over in London that have written uh, repurchase insurance. So they came out, Joe, and they did due diligence on our technology and our process. And so they provided us with repurchase insurance that we in turn now pass along to our customers for free uh, so that nice. we even further uh, tap down or mitigate the risk associated with repurchase or identification. That's that's impressive, and, and I'd love to talk more about that. So you created Day One Certainty fully across the board. It's, I mean, if Fannie Mae's Day One Certainty, I think it's running somewhere around 30% success rate. You, you're running 100% with the insurance then. Yes, yes, and and uh, 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 so so the insurance product, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those you don't need it until you need it, right? And you know, you may <laughs> like ask, insurance, well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you you may ask, well, Jack, if you've had one out of 22,000 uh, loans uh, uh, sold to the GSEs, uh, uh, you know, be repurchased, you know, then why is insurance necessary? And it's that safety net, and I think that, you know, makes our clients, uh, you know, see the benefit of yes, partnering exactly with point. us to to minimize and cure these defects up front before they get passed downstream to other investors. And, 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 and so, you know, when you combine, you know, the technology and the insurance offering, uh, you know, it's a very compelling uh, 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 message to our clients that says, you know, we care about us, but we also care about you. And you as the head of a small business, uh, you know, certainly want to protect and preserve your capital and we're here to partner with you to get that done. Well, and it's it's an amazing partnership you have established. I've gone out and talked to a number of your customers. They absolutely love the relationship and they do they talk about that and they say the systems that you built have created an environment and created a structure where there is very little defect. But knowing the human factors there, it just takes one or two, especially for the thinner capitalized lenders out there, to to really have a real hit and to their uh, to their balance sheet. So the fact that you've created this is really admirable. I'm impressed with what you've done. Want to have you back and continue as we continue down the journey of learning what you know developments are going to be happening there. You are constantly an evolving organization. You're very uh, intentional about keeping yourself current and ahead of where the market's at. So we look forward to having you back, Jack. It's been really good to have you give us an update. Well, thank you, David. And, you know, one thing that got mentioned on the show just a couple minutes ago, and I want to, you know, focus uh, people on this, is, is you, you uh, uh, had a, a quick segment on KPIs. And, and yes. I just want to say, you know, a lot of people focus on KPIs, and they're very important. Don't unfocus off of your key risk indicators either. Oh, uh, good. So KPIs and, you know, their counterpart, KRIs. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to throw that soundbite out quickly uh, well, uh, for your uh, listeners because everybody focuses on KPIs, David, and, and, yep. and, and, and there has to be, uh, you know, a – an equal amount of focus on the KRIs as well. Key risk indicators. We just got someone said 
Dave, we could make a whole program about that. Why don't you have Jack come back and just talk about KRIs? And so uh, we already have a request for you to come back from one of our listeners who is a pretty sizable lender out there, and I suspect is doing business with you. But that's a great point. KRIs in addition to KPIs. That's good. Appreciate that. Well, oh, David, Jack, anytime you, you want to so have much. me, it, it, would, it would be my pleasure. Well, we'd like to. Have, I'm serious about that. I'd really like to dive into that. So let's start those discussions right away about getting you back on, talking about the the, the key risk factors that go into this. So anyway, appreciate you, Jack, taking time out of your busy day to be here with us. Our guest today has been Jack Nunnery, Executive Vice President of Texas Capital Bank and the Mortgage Correspondent Aggregation MCA program that they launched uh, now, gosh, back uh, 18 months or so ago. And so really appreciate Jack being here with us. Next week, we have David Gansberg coming on, giving an update about the acquisition of United Guarantee by ArchMI, the ramifications. And we'll be sharing a lot more information about what we can expect. There's going to be a lot more of this type of activity going on in the marketplace. And uh, so how... Are there things we can learn from these these uh, consolidation, this consolidation that's going to be continue to happen? Well, we're going to learn more what has worked and what hasn't worked so well there at ArchMI and uh, with United Guarantee. But it is up and running and looking forward to having David Gainsburg on next week. Appreciate you tuning in and telling others about the program. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us again next week, and thank you for listening.